Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Please take your seats quickly, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to Tennis Weekly with Joel, Kim and Chris. On today's Tour Catch-Up, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Carlos Alcaraz lifts the Barcelona crown for a second time. Iga Sviontek saunters to Stuttgart title defence. And the Madrid Open gets underway without Nadal or Djokovic. Kim, Chris, today is the 24th of April and we are here to catch up on the week in tennis at Tennis Weekly HQ. It's been another compelling week on the ATP and WTA tours and we've had what feels like for the first time in a very, very long time, three players retake their titles. We've had three back-to-back title defences, Sviontek in Stuttgart, Alcaraz in in Barcelona and Holger Rune in Munich. So yeah, very, very exciting. Lots to talk about as usual. We're going to be talking about Lever Cup as well later on and also looking at some reports from the WTA about shake-up to their tournament structure. So yeah, lots to look forward to. But Chris, first of all, you've just come straight into a recording from the airport. That's my commitment to Tennis Weekly, Joel. I've come straight from Helsinki, um, just landed and then got through the door 15 minutes ago and unpacked my microphone and here we are. So efficient. I, I hear you had a sauna in your apartment in Helsinki. Is that right, Chris? We did. We did indeed. Um, <gasps> I think it's actually Living mandatory <laughs> for all apartments in, in the whole of Finland to have a sauna. I think it is why they're the happiest nation in the world, mm. it would seem, because they're just so warm. I could have done with a sauna today. The weather's been abysmal. Uh, it's been chucking <laughs> it down with rain and cold and... Just, yeah, the thought of a sauna right now is delightful. So, Well, I can recommend a very good apartment, yeah. Kim. <laughs> Thank you for, uh, you know, coming back from your from your sauna trip. Chris, I did enjoy, you did message us on our, on our little WhatsApp group and you did say that your friends thought you were naturally kind of going out to Finland, uh, you know, from Coventry to go cover some more tennis. Yes, that was the question for tennis again. I said, no, I actually have <laughs> friends I go on holiday with. I don't just what? cover international tennis tournaments, but... Uh, I, I actually snapped back and said there's no tennis in Finland mm. but obviously how would someone know that so I felt that wasn't very fair <laughs> to anybody um, and it would make sense to ask the question. It is surprising though there are no ATP or WTA tour level events in Finland and I'm thinking like no better time than ever really with you know Emil Rusevori doing uh, you know really really well. They're in the Davis Cup finals. Henri Continent, yeah, there's quite a few players, really, mm. when you look into it. They could get Jarko Neiman in as a tournament director. Oh, yeah, you could see he would be tournament. big to uh, get a, <laughs> get a cushy uh, tournament director role. Screams 250, screams 250, doesn't it? <laughs> Indoor 250? It's got to be indoors with with, with saunas a sauna, for fa- sauna facilities. Maybe a WTA one two five combined event, a Ooh, bit like Hamburg. Yes. Mm. Sounds nicer than the Croydon Open we were planning a few weeks <laughs> yeah, exactly. ago. I can see the sort the sauna being a real bonus to players. You know, they have a really hard match, have the handshake, and then they just go straight into the sauna room and all about the know, recovery, Joel. Isn't yeah, it? it's all about the ice recovery. Bath, Forget the ice bath. Dip. Get me in the sauna. <laughs> Absolutely. I mean, Chris, can I ask one thing? I assume you didn't fly with British Airways because um, that's I wanted to bring up British Airways this week. And this isn't going to be a podcast all about travel, but there is a reason because um, Emma Raducanu has. Uh, well, she's featuring in a new safety video for British Airways, which is, I think, my fun <laughs> highlight of the week. Um, I don't know if anyone's been able to see it. It is going live on BA planes from the 1st of May. So if anyone Ooh, listening is due to fly to with BA, now. keep your eyes peeled Commitment for the safety video. to the video. podcast. We need to go see this 
be a safety video. Yeah, it's also got um, some other sort of famous British uh, people. It's got Tom Kerridge, the uh, the chef. It's got um, Stephen Bartlett, who people may know from Dragon's Den. So yeah, Emma Raducanu is among a host of uh, sort of people that are synonymous with the UK, I think, is why they've uh, chosen certain um, individuals. Mm. And yeah, it's gonna be uh, gonna be going live. Uh, I think next week on uh, BA. So when you're next flying back, maybe to the UK, Chris, you could uh, check <laughs> check British Airways yes. how it's to result. I did. I did have a little look at the video, which I never thought I would be actively searching for a flight <laughs> safety <laughs> video. But um, I did see that it was a Dior bag that Emma was putting into the overhead. Mm, uh, priorities. And I thought, That's not how I fly. But I'm not <laughs> sponsored by them. Was that in economy or what? No. Yeah. Yeah, she was an economy, so I think she must have been a bit lost at that point. But um... <laughs> <laughs> oh, well, I was also thinking it reminded me a bit of the infamous British Eurovision entry Scooch uh, doing the, the mm. airline style uh, performance when I was watching the video. But that's just because I've got Eurovision also on the brain at the moment as it's imminently you, upon us. When have you not got Eurovision on the brain, Kim? <laughs> well, that is a good point. When I'm not thinking about tennis, I think about Eurovision. There we go. Um, <laughs> but Joel, what, what what caught your eye this this week on, on tour yes. or off tour? <laughs> well, yeah, my, my highlight was it was kind of the meeting of uh, two sports, actually, tennis and football, because, um, you know, I was keeping an eye on, I think it was on Friday night, Southampton were playing Arsenal in a big game in, in the uh, in the Premier League. And after the first minute, Southampton had scored and the player that had scored for them. Now, I wasn't aware this player had played uh, for Southampton, but he goes by the name of Carlos Alcaraz. And I was <laughs> I was just kind of confused. I was like, hang on. Carlos Alcaraz, he's in Barcelona, he can play tennis, he's a fantastic tennis player, but he seemed to be a fantastic footballer um, as well. But um, yeah, just sort of, yeah, I had to almost do a little bit of a double take because um, I can't think of too many names, first name and surname, identical in two different sports at such an elite level. He's that talented. He can, mm. uh, you know, exceed at two elite sports yeah. uh, and play in one tournament, play in football match at the same time. <laughs> um, I wouldn't put it past him. You know, our Carlos Alcaraz, mm. well, I know a lot more about him than I do about the Southampton. Uh, yeah. Is he a defender? I well, think, I, I potentially. Think, I think, I'm not sure, actually. I was going to say forward if he scored a goal, but he could have been a oh, defender yeah, on, a, on a corner. Um I feel like the the only way you can separate them is I did do a little bit of a, a Google on this this Carlos Alcaraz football imposter. He's got um, a nickname, <laughs> um, Carlos Jonas Charlie Alcaraz. So that's the way I think you would, uh, yeah, separate them out. But um, yeah, it's just fun fun to see <laughs> Carlos Alcaraz name on my kind of football live scores app um, when I was sort of expecting his name on the tennis app. Have they ever been seen in the same room together, Joel? Is my question. <laughs> Good question. No verified, no verified sightings. As a as a non, they need to meet. They need to meet now. I feel it's it. It just has to happen. And Chris, you got very excited this week, not because of spotting an imposter in the footballing world, but because of a particular social media post. Am I right in thinking? Yes, indeed. I think it is time. It's time for Serena to evolve back into tennis. I think this might be what's happening. I can't be sure. But I, I think did it's, spot it's the worst kept secret in tennis at this moment, I feel, Chris. Wow. I do think that we might be seeing her on a tennis court again. She has posted um, a picture of herself standing on a tennis court in athletic gear with the caption, just trying to stay fit here. And she is courtside. She has a mm. racket in hand. And I, I have to say... Um, I can't see her necessarily playing the US Open again, but I do think she has unfinished business um, at Wimbledon. I think I really I can see it. I would never bet against it. And I think, um, you know, Australia, obviously, we didn't think she'd be there, but maybe we'll see her in Eastbourne or maybe if she had a bit more preparation time, um, we will see her at Wimbledon again. But surely not the US Open is what I'm thinking. So that was a lot. There was a lot of... uh, a lot of focus and attention around that um, massive hoo-ha and fanfare. Um, and it would be a bit embarrassing if you turn up again, but I'm sure they'd be pleased to see her from a ticket sales perspective. 
Yeah, but the PR and marketing would be a bit annoyed after all their uh, work last year with the the farewell to uh, to see her back maybe so soon. I don't know. Maybe, maybe at Wimbledon she might just come and do a bit of doubles, a bit of doubles yeah. maybe with Venus as a good bar. That, I mean, that I don't, hasn't I don't happened. Know. I feel like that needs to happen before we see her permanently move away from tennis. So I'd l- mm. I'd love to see a Venus Serena, yeah, wild card into the ladies doubles. Yeah, or she'll probably be back for the invitation or in, you know, mm. 10 years time. But <laughs> we'll have to wait and see. She might have just be wanting to tease. Uh, I mean, maybe that's what she's maybe that's what she's saying fit for. She's waiting for that invitational doubles uh, <laughs> doubles invite from uh, from Wimbledon, because I'm not going to lie. I feel like that is getting more traction each year with some of the legends they're able to kind of bring to the event. Yeah, they've got some great names. Chris, they've got Daniela Hantikova for Hant- quite a lot of time. Laura they? Yeah. Yeah. So. They, they played together. There's a lot of... Uh, Jankovic played with Ravanska last year, so... Yeah, some cracking um, names. Yeah, and players who've just kind of sort of left the tour. So I think it's um, it's a nice mix, but I think it, it does get a bit unfair when I think Kim Clijsters and Martina Hingis started playing <laughs> Legends, then came back and won slams and doubles and singles afterwards, so... <laughs> yeah, give, give people a chance... For God's sake. Um, but talking about current tour and current tennis, let, let's crack on with this week's tournaments or part, last week's tournaments, I should say, because we've had quite a few, quite a few repeat winners this week on the tour, as, as Joel mentioned earlier, one of which is Iga Svjontek, uh out in Stuttgart. She's never lost at this tournament. Uh, she's played it twice um, and she's now, I think, 8-0, and undefeated. She's racking up the, uh, the Porsche, Porsche automobiles. Automobiles, yeah. Emma Raducanu will be getting jealous because she she likes a Porsche, <laughs> doesn't she? Um, but yeah, Sviontek is the proud winner of of a new Porsche um, and also the tournament. She beat Sabalenka in straight sets in the final, six three six four. Um, Chris, what did you make of of Iga throughout the week? Um, you know, she's very comfortable in the final. There did have one match that went to three sets, but other than that, wasn't really challenged throughout the week. Um, what were your thoughts on how she played um, during the course of the week and, and in the final especially? Yeah, I thought it was a really good return to the tour for Iga. I thought the big thing that I noticed was that she was serving really well. I think her serve is definitely the part of her game where we've seen her have a few more mistakes. It's definitely not the most technically admired of shots that she produces. Um, and her numbers were really fantastic. So I think especially in that final, um, her first serve, she had a high percentage. She was winning a lot of points behind it. And her second serve was really holding up as well. She was she was going for some quite big second serves. And I think that was kind of the big difference there because Sabalenka didn't serve badly at all. Um, but Iga was returning so well and she was able to also get it done on serve. I think um, having a bit of a challenge against Piscifo was also um, quite a good one for her because I think we have seen that, you know, going into um, having a really kind of quite comfortable um, Qatar where she kind of was on dominant display and it doesn't necessarily put in the best stead for the next week when you're challenged. So I think having a bit of a mixture of some quite close ones and then also some relatively simple and straightforward um, matches will set her up for a very, very interesting Madrid Open. Quite, yeah. And still obviously got Madrid and Rome before we head into the French Open. Um, I mean, given how well she's playing on her return back to the, the tour, do you think that she is just, obviously the hands down favourite for the French Open you know she's a two-time former winner there can you see anyone really challenging her if she continues to play like we've seen you know even this past week Joel where are your thoughts on that one yeah I think she is at the moment it's still very early days and there's still a lot of time between now um, and the French Open but certainly the way she's played this week and how comfortable you know she defeated I think Sabalenka I mean Sabalenka's had a very good consistent season um, this year but she really wasn't any match for, for Svantec in the final and um as Chris said, I think it's almost kind of worrying to the, the field that, you know, some of her weaknesses, she, I think, has almost kind of taken that into account and looked to work on them like the serve. And she's going to become, I think, an even more um, formidable force. And if you, you know, add in add into that some of the players around her who could give her a competition like Anjibor, who, you know, has got a calf injury now, you know, unfortunately had to retire in that semi-final. Again, it's going to play into, you know, Svantec's hands. And I think... Given how you know the Australian Open went, I think she will be almost kind of hurting. I maybe a little bit from the start of the season, and and she's going to be thinking, right, this is where I'm at home at most, and I want to assert my authority again on the tour. Yeah, absolutely, and I think you know, see, just looking actually at at this tournament, and she wanted may have gone home with a Porsche, but one thing that we really wanted to kind of highlight today actually was 
the prize money that Shvante got uh, in comparison to the equivalent um, tournament on the ATP tour, both 500 events, the Barcelona Open and the Stuttgart one, both ATP and WGA 500 tournaments. Shvantec, the winner's check, 104,000 euros, which sounds like a lovely sum of money to, to you and me. But Al Carlos Alcaraz for the equivalent level tournament, uh, winning that, which we'll get onto a bit later, 477,000 euros. Um, I know Shvantec got a Porsche in there as well, but the the vast differential between the prize money um, for both of those tournaments, you know, why is that? That's just such a vast difference. And I, I think we alluded to some of the struggles that WTA tournaments are having, but uh, Chris, I mean, it's it's quite tough to see that, isn't it, when it's such a differential? It's really strange. And especially at a tournament like Stuttgart, which you would have thought it's been a long-standing um, fixture in, in the calendar um, they have been able to play it throughout kind of co- well, COVID and, and lots of uh, the time that that we've been having some challenges around that it's not like it's been um, a new tournament that's had to had to pop up so um, that is very worrying and I think that given the focus that Stuttgart has and the quality of players that are there I mean it is a very odd one because you'd have thought that um, it would be um, one of the most highly paying ones, especially when it comes to the 500. It's in the top tier of 500s in terms of um, the Charlestons um, of this world. Um, very well respected. And it does beg the question, um, what is going on? And I think it does make it even more clear as to why the WTA was in need of some additional funding and is obviously heading back to China. Mm, yeah, it kind of um, adds to that argument, I guess, for going back to China. It's like if they want to be able to offer prize money on a par of the ATP, then unfortunately it seems that China is maybe one of the only places that can offer that in, in this day and age. Um, I mean, one player that won't be getting her hands on on that sort of prize money at the moment seems to be Emma Raducanu because she did play Stuttgart. We talk, uh, talked about it at length when we covered the Billie Jean King Cup finals. She didn't have a very good time in Stuttgart. I bet she's maybe wishing she'd played the Billie Jean King Cup in Coventry because she only got Three games on court against Elena Ostapenko in the first round. Joel, what did you make of, of Emma's performance? And I mean, how worried are you now, given the form that she seems to be kind of currently in or, or the lack of form? Yeah, I mean, before getting on to, to Raducanu, I will say Elena Ostapenko, she's a French Open champion. You know, she's a very, very good clay court player on her day. And, and really, she should have beaten on Zubor um, in that second round. She is fantastic. And I think... Raducanu was just just absolutely no match, unfortunately, for when Ostenpenko is in this mood, she can challenge the the best in the world. And um, it went away from her very, very quickly. And I think it is very, very worrying in the sense that she obviously had points to defend here. She's got points to defend coming up in Madrid. And if she gets through a qualifier, has got Iga Sviontek in, in the second round. And, um, you know, if it doesn't go that well, she could very, very quickly be out of, you know, the top 100 in the rankings. And I think there is going to be a question that comes potentially sooner rather than later that, yes, I think she will get handed these wild cards and, you know, she might have to play because of sponsorship commitments, for example, um, you know, like here with, you know, her endorsement with, with Porsche. But at the same time, is that the best thing for her development um you know at 20 years old should she be looking further down because it was always going to be a struggle i think coming into a draw like this when it's so stacked with top players yeah and, and maybe she won't be having that poor sponsorship for for much longer if if she does go out the top 100 and isn't getting the mm. results because you know that's part and parcel of why these top companies would would be sponsoring um yeah it's it's a real shame do you think she should have a more conscious focus on 250s dare i say even like you know wta 125s um as opposed to the more glitzy and, and glamorous events like this where yes the you know there are more cameras on there but you know there's it feels like for her it's a higher risk higher reward and it didn't really pay out i feel in in stuttgart it's tough, right? Because of the ranking side of things. She's mm. got to get the ranking up. And if you don't get the ranking up, you're not going to be seeded. You're going to have some tough round ones. And I think that's the the big thing. If you are playing these tournaments, which do have more ranking points, and there is obviously um, more opportunity to improve your ranking, but you don't get the matches if you go out early. So like in Miami, obviously that's a first round loss to Bianca, who's a fantastic player, another Grand Slam champion. And then you can also have the flip side of that where you might get a bit of a better draw and you're able to kind of play yourself into the tournament, but you do need a mix of them. And I think 
it's one of the things we pointed out last week is there aren't many WTA mm. 250s going. So your, your hand's kind of forced whether you do drop down like a lot of players did to the W100 that's in Portugal last week or whether you kind of do have to keep plugging away and getting wild cards and not necessarily getting the points that you would want to be able to get all the match practice. So um, I, I mean, I totally understand why she played it, even if you take away the sponsor piece and tournaments will give her a wild card because she's a massive draw um, and she's a very exciting player to watch, but it it's not going to lead to a sustainable rise up the rankings and um, improvement in her confidence in her game if she's not able to play in tournaments where she's able to get matches. Yeah, maybe she could have done a Sara Cerebes Tormo and played the uh, ITF event in Portugal and well, she was having a fun sort of bageling or trying to bagel people. <laughs> bagel I think she was on five bagels in a row at one point, wasn't she? Sara Cerebes Tormo, which is fantastic. Um, but yeah, go, going back to Stuttgart, we'll have to see what Emma decides to do. It will depend on her ranking and if she's getting those wild cards. Um, I bet Anki Offervong, though, was maybe secretly, uh, secretly, maybe not loving the, the fact that, you know, Radicanu was uh, losing in the first round. But um, you do kind of look in hindsight about would it have been better to play Billie Jean King Cup in Coventry? But um, I feel like maybe there'll be lessons learned from that. Yeah, another player who had a bad week in uh, Stuttgart was was Coco Goff. Uh, she she lost in the second round to Potapova, but her forehand was having a right nightmare, wasn't it? Um, 38 uh, forehand unforced errors in that straight sets loss to Potapova. So the, uh, the issue continues for Coco Goff's forehand. She'll be wanting to iron that out if she wants to make a repeat of her French Open final from last year, that's for sure. But nice to see, um, nice to see Bedosa, I think, do well. In this event, yes, I, I know she sh- probably should have beaten Sabalenka in their um, in their quarterfinal, but she's had some very tight matches with the creme de la creme of, of what it feels like this season. You know, with with Rybakina as well recently, and uh, Pegula, I think in in Charleston. Um, so yeah, it's nice to see her. I think doing well, and I think she could be. I think she's you know she's knocking on the door. I think of causing a big upset at some point, and I think maybe that could come in in Madrid. So it's nice to see her, I think, do quite well. And also Carolina Pliskova. I saw everyone was like, she's changed her hairstyle. She's gone for the, the ponytail. The po- it looked like a perm, oh, I think. I was going to say ponytail, but perm, yeah, I, it was a different look. It was a different look. And yeah, she was the one who troubled Iga Svionta the most um, this week. And um, yeah, I was impressed by those two, those two players in, in Stuttgart, even though it doesn't necessarily equate to get into a semi-final or better. I mean, as yeah. the one and two, they've obviously been ranked very highly before. I guess with Paula, I just think the question is, if she's not able to get it done in those matches, um, she's just going to be one of those sort of mid, maybe top 30 players. players. Yeah. yeah, and I think once she's been to the heights, I think she talked about it a lot on Breakpoint, and it's a player that I think a lot of us want to see play the best tennis she can play and get the results because she can play great tennis. Um, it's just the pressure of those moments. I mean... Mm. A set and four two. It looked like a a done deal. If that was, it should have been a lot of top players. It should have been exactly. So, I think that is a shame. So for me, I think it's obviously positive to see her playing well. But it's fine beating someone who's a bit more kind of lower in the rankings when it comes to beating kind of the informed player. You've got to take those chances. Yeah, precisely. And I mean, let's let's now look to uh, the Barcelona event that we mentioned. So ATP 500 had Carlos Alcaraz against Stefanos Tsitsipas in the final. And Carlos Alcaraz coming out on top again. Uh, he was, of course, the top seed. Winning in the same scoreline, actually, as Sviontek over Sabalenka. 6-3, 6-4 um, straight sets. Um, I mean, he, he had a pretty perfect week, really, I think, in, in Barcelona. Um, very comfortable didn't drop a set all week um you know beat beat some good handy clay quarters as well some fellow Spaniards also beat Dan Evans who got to the semi-final um well, yeah Joel what did you make of, of Carlos Alcaraz when he wasn't playing football um you know he was <laughs> winning the Barcelona <laughs> Open again <laughs> jumping into another swimming pool with uh, all, the, all yeah. the ball kids um I love that tradition by the way I think it's one of the best mm. traditions on the tour but um yeah I think um he was just playing a very high level of tennis consistently uh, throughout the week that even Stefano Sispas, who I thought, again, brought a very good level. I thought that was a very high quality um, final. Um, but Carlos Alcaraz is just, he's just so formidable. And it's its amazing, I think, that, you know, I was reading, he's now out of teenagehood. 
um he's now um you know not considered a teenager on the tour but he's just so formidable and i think that's just again what's so impressive in terms of it doesn't feel like there are a lot of weaknesses to this game we've got to remember this is a guy who's just been done finishing a teenager so it's almost kind of scary to think you know what level um you know he can can go to um and i think that was all on display in the final and i think it was helped as well a little bit by Stefanos Sissipas, who, as well as having Carlos Alcaraz to deal with, he had his unwanted, I feel, record of his of ATP 500 finals. Guys, he is now 0-10 in ATP 500 finals. What is going on there? He's never won one. No. I can't, I can't believe that. Is he I the mean, Julian that... Benito of, of ATP 500 finals? Oh, that's uh, yeah, zero and ten from ATP 500 finals. Mm. Some of them were definitely winnable. I think Rublev, um, Zverev, he had, a, he had a loss to him, and I think back in 2020, Zverev, yeah, 2021, I think Acapulco. I mean, some you know were up against Djokovic, Nadal, you'd be less sort of, um, I guess, critical of those. But yeah, certainly, I think he should have got over that hurdle by now. Yeah, I mean, thank goodness he's got a couple of Masters titles yes. to his name. Otherwise, well, yes, that yeah. would be deeply worrying. <laughs> we know he can do it at a bigger event. Uh, just, But, you know, you don't want to win at all levels, 500s, you know, 250s, 1000s. I, I guess, I, I guess you know, there are obviously parallels, I think, between how Alcaraz has done this week and how Svantec has done in Stuttgart. Do you feel like Alcaraz, again, in relation to the French Open, is he the favourite? Or, or a more interesting question is, how far do you think he is from the chasing pack, given what we saw in this final against Stefano Sissipas? I think Alcaraz is the favourite if, you know, Novak and Rafa aren't there, which at the moment it looks like, well, we don't know. The, both of them may not be there. They're both pulled out of Madrid. Like Rafa's, you know, continuing to pull out of tournaments. We'll get on to Djokovic in a bit. But I think, you know, after those two, Alcaraz to me is the obvious person to to have up there as, as favourite, Yeah. And I think, thank goodness, he is playing tennis again after having that break because mm. the tour needs him in terms of the level he's able to display, the shot making. As soon as he stepped back on a tennis court, he was doing some brilliant things and his tennis keeps getting better week on week. On, week. And I think um, it is important that, you know, he is in draws because we are missing some star power at the moment. I think mm. when we have a look at the Madrid Open, I think you'll see that, um, that, that there there are some gaps in, in the draw where there traditionally would have been maybe... Uh, um, a player ranked kind of between five and eight who you thought could really do it, like a, a Zverev or someone like that who's kind of not in form. So having someone who is in form and is such an exciting prospect, I think, I mean, it's great for the ATP right now. Yeah, because last year's French Open finalist, Casper Ruud, not looking like he's going to be getting to the, the latter stages at the moment based on his current form. He he lost in the second round to... Um, Francisco Serendolo, uh, third round rather, but yeah, straight sets lost to him. Who you know, and he's a, he's a good clay call to Serendolo, but Casparu just not 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 um, having a great run, continuing his his difficult start. Not good enough though for Dan Evans though, was he, Kim? No, Dan Evans got the better of Serendolo <laughs> and made a semi final, which is kind of surprising, I guess. Yeah. But I think really nice and and well deserved based on his performances this week. Yeah, that took me. That definitely took me by surprise. I don't think Dan Evans has had a very good few months on the on the tour, and I wasn't expecting Barcelona 500 uh, was the tournament he was going to kind of pick it back up in. Um, I think it was also nice to see. Um, well, it was a little bit unfortunate. I think Yannick Sinner um, had to pull out um, from his quarterfinal against Massetti, but I think Massetti getting to the semis and pushing Sissipas in that semi in, in three, he is also going to be a player that I don't think a lot of players are going to be wanting to face coming up on the tour, going into the into the French. I think he's going to be one of those dark horses that, you know, where those gaps are opening up because of the lack of star power. At the moment, to me, it feels like in the in the first two rounds of the the, the first two weeks sorry, of the clay season, Massetti is one of those players who's taking the advantage. Joel, I'm going to remind you that you said this when we do our Madrid predictions. Because it's almost like you've said the exact setup for me putting oh. Massetti right in the mix for the semi-finals. Well, so I've got don't worry, I've got Massetti going out in round one, so it's fine. Okay, so <laughs> it won't happen then, will it? I'm, I'm cursed. Uh, well, Massetti obviously beat Novak uh, Djokovic in Monte Carlo, and he's you know had a good week here. Also beat Cam Norrie on, on route mm. to the, the semis in Barcelona. So yeah, we'll, we'll see how he continues with his clay court season. Um, one player that has had 
fairly decent clay court season so far. Holger Runa, let's let's go on to Munich where where Holger Runa won the title. Obviously, uh, the losing finalist at, at Monte Carlo last week, but managing to to come out on top in the Munich final. This was the ATP 250. He was up against Botic van der Zandschel, which was a repeat of last year's final, actually. Uh, and this one went right down to the wire. It was 6-4-1-6-7-6 to Runa. He had to save a couple of championship points uh, that van der Zandschel was not able to, to capitalise on. Four championship points, yeah. And uh, also battled some injury as well. So quite a dramatic final, really. Well, I, I don't think the, the, the announcer after the match felt like it was a, an injury, shall we say? Yeah, the uh, the guy who came on court to to do the sort of post-match um, shenanigans, he uh, he was sort of uh, implying that maybe Runa was 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 faking it, uh, saying, "Oh, you take you took a medical timeout for the the shoulder and the ankle, but you're fine now." And uh, obviously Holger said, "Well, no, I'm I'm not fine. I feel awful." Um, it is what it is when you're in this situation. That's that's what he kind of said. And I mean, I guess the the announcer, maybe the the crowd, they wanted Van der Zandschop to to get over the finish line. I don't know. We were talking about Runa versus the crowd last time round. Maybe maybe he got on the the wrong side of the Munich crowd as well. Um, but but Chris, what what did you make of of Runa's performance uh, in this final and, and the fact that he was able to to get the job done this week? Yeah, we talked about it last week in terms of the fact that how would he bounce back after such a tough loss at a Masters tournament, which he was he was up in that match. We thought he was going to take it and he didn't. And he's, I mean, he's brushed it off and he's almost done the reverse of what happened to him last week. And he shouldn't have won this title and he has won it. So it does show a real kind of impressive ability to compartmentalise things and leave what happened in Monte Carlo in the past and move on. And he's picked up a, a title and defended. Um kind of the breakthrough title that he had that kicked off his his season in a big way that led to a French Open semi-final. So um, I think it's really impressive. Um, I do think it shows sort of the champion sort of mentality that some of these younger players have. You know, I think Carlos has it. I think Holger has it. Um, They're winners and they get right back in there. It makes them even more determined to win. And, um, you know, if, if Holger Rune is a match point down, I still back him to come through that match because he has that mental fortitude that I think um, he never knows when he's beaten. And I think he understands that tennis matches aren't over until the final point's been played. So I'm very impressed with him this week. And uh, I think the amount of tennis uh, he's played this year, I mean, I'm, I think he probably was in need of, you know, the injury timeouts that he had. And um, if he could win without having to have an injury timeout or an injury scare, I think you obviously would. And um, so I think that's a bit of a bit of an off question and, and well done to Holger for getting the, getting the title. Yeah. And obviously Bottic van der Zandschorp, uh, very upset after losing that one. Um, you know, he, he went on to Twitter, I think, after the match saying that this one really hurt. Uh, you know, he played almost three hours, had, had those championship points, wasn't able to get the job done. You know, he served the match three times. It was, you know, one gutting. point away four yeah. times. So that's, that is a gutting defeat. But Holger Runa um, was, you know, off, off, you know, offered up some nice words on, on Twitter um, to Zach van der Zandschorp, which was nice to see. The more I see this, um, you know, these matches, particularly on the clay that is happening to, to Runa at the moment, it is remind, it is giving me like Casper Ruud flashbacks. You know, Casper Ruud getting to the French Open final, uh, you know, last season. Uh, I could, I personally see Runa as like a could do some have some sort of similar trajectory. I think to potentially have you joined have you joined me as the, uh, the danish <laughs> contingent over here the holger fan <laughs> yeah gradually kim i'm I, winning you over as well I with do, holger i do think though he is like i do think he likes to play up as a villain like like on the tennis court i think he likes that adversity um and he likes it's not the, very that challenge like at all, i know though. i know i agree it's <laughs> no. it's, it's not um, well in that um in that respect but um it worked for Casper Ruud, um, you know, in his approach last year. I think it's working. Well, we're seeing it in terms of the results. It's working for Holger Ruud. He's a better tennis player as well, to be at honest. The moment. Mm, interesting. Do you think? Ooh. Do you think Rune's got more firepower than than Ruud long term? I think he does. I think technically, I think he is much more solid in terms of some of those weapons. I think the serve is something that is kind of a bit underrated from 
from Casper, but I think Holger's is improving. His second serve's improving. His movement is fantastic. And I think his shots don't break down in the same way that Casper does. I think if he does get beaten, it's one of the rare occasions it's a straight set's loss to someone who is ranked below him. But um, whereas Casper, I think, can lose to anyone on any day, depending on how that forehand goes or, or that backhand. It, it's, it's not safe shots. Yeah. Um, but we, I mean, in terms of other results from other players uh, in Munich, Dominic Team made a quarterfinal, lost to, uh, lost to Dominic Fritz, lost to Taylor Fritz. Um, so he's made two quarterfinals on the trot now, which is, you know, nice to see for, for Team. Um, and then I think Sasha Zverev lost on his birthday, which is uh, sad times for for Sasha and, and his fans. Um he lost to Chris O'Connell, which was quite random, really. A Australian uh, who probably isn't really renowned for, for being a clay quarter, but he uh, battled through to the um, to the semi-finals, yeah. losing to Runa. So great week for him. Um, surprise package of the week, Chris O'Connell. Um, let's have a quick look though at Banja Luka, which is the tournament out in Bosnia. Um, this is uh, one that was headlined by Novak Djokovic. Uh, Andre Rublev, Monte Carlo champion, was also there. Neither of them won. Uh, we were expecting it to be perhaps the Djokovic-Rublev final. In the end, only one of those players got there. Rublev uh, got to the final but lost to another Serbian, Dusan Lajevic, in three sets. 6-3, 4 6 getting, I think, his second tour-level title with that win. Uh, it was about two and a half hours long. So that's he's sort of put an end to Rublev's. I think it was an eight-match winning streak he was on. Um, yeah, cr- uh, Chris, what what did you make of of this match? Was it one step too far for Rublev? Was he was he tired given the sort of recent amount of tennis he's played, or was was Lajevic just kind of playing, well, one of the matches of his life to um to get this job done? I mean, given the fact that he'd also beaten Mr. Djokovic a couple of rounds earlier. I think what's so nice about it is that having had sort of the win of his career, he was able to Mm. back it up and take home the title. I think Mm. so many times you see players, especially at slams, get that big win and then they go out the next round to someone who is slightly more um, lowly ranked. So he he backed it up every time. And so I think that's super impressive from from Lajovic in in that respect. And the level in the final, um, I don't think it was as high as we had kind of in Monte Carlo, but I still think it was a good showing. Um, and it just just shows, you know, with, when it comes to tennis, one minute you're winning a 1,000, the next you're losing in a final of a 250 and, and vice versa with the the similarity between kind of the, the Holger um, and the Andre sort of situation there. Um, it does make, does this title, I was going to ask you this, Joel, does this title run uh, make that loss for Andy Murray in Miami look a little bit less, a um, little less uh, painful and bad for Murray fans? Because people were pretty harsh about that loss at the time. Um, and obviously he's put it together this week. Yeah, I think I still personally would expect Murray to win that match on a, on a hard court. But I think Lajovic on a clay court is a very handy proposition. I think a very underrated proposition because, you know, remember he got to the Monte Carlo um, Monte Carlo final the year um, Fabio Fornini won it. Um, so he has got previous, I think, on, on the clay. And, uh, you know, he has a very, I think... Uh, you know, very solid, very all-round game, great volleyer, lovely single-handed backhand as well. So I still, yeah, as I said, I still think Murray probably should have maybe been the favourite and won that on a hard, but Lajovic on a, on a clay court is a very, very tough competitor. And I was a little bit surprised, actually. You know, he's he's been around a while. He's 32 years old and only won ATP title prior to this. I actually think he's worth a few more than that because the level he can bring to a tennis court is is consistently... I'd say enough for him to win a few more kind of 250s. I don't feel like he needs to beat Novak Djokovic every week, but it just showed the level he was playing at and impressive to kind of keep it going. Also beat three Serbs en route, not just mm. uh, Djokovic, he beat uh, Krajinovic and uh, Kekmanovic. So uh, definitely coming out on top of all the Serbian players. And that match against Kekmanovic, I think went over three hours. So it was impressive, mm. like fitness wise that, he was able to kind of come through that physical test and then come up against Rublev, who again would be another very tough physical battle, um, and then come through that. Yeah, and, and on Djokovic, he's pulled out of Madrid, um, and you know he managed to get one win out in Bosnia against Luka Van Ash, which was a three set, three setter. Um, then he lost to Lajovic six four seven six. Where are your thoughts on on Djokovic? Is he being just overly cautious by pulling out of Madrid, or is this an indication that that elbow really isn't right at the moment? I think it's it, well, it's interesting because you know in that match against Lajovic, 
there was no elbow strapping um, like there was in his his first match. So, you know, on, on that, you know, from that point of view, you could say, uh, you know, things were getting back to normal. But certainly losing to, to Lajovic in, in straight sets wasn't um, part of the script. I don't necessarily think the, the court helped. Um, I think there were, you know, this court was a very, very slow um, very, very slow court. And I don't think that that helped things. And um, I'm not going to be like fooled, I feel, by, you know, a Djokovic injury in the build up to a, a Grand Slam. I feel like we've been there before and he's, you know, come out and been exceptional. Um, I certainly will take more, I think, from from Rome um, in terms of where his game is at versus, you know, Madrid coming up. And I think he's probably thought the same as well in terms of the conditions. So um, it's obviously not, you know, this has not definitely been part of the script, but um, I certainly think he can, you know, get it back on track in time for the um, for Paris. And I think, Joel, we were talking about this before the um, the tournament, the, the tournament before the podcast uh, started. Uh, you you were talking about the last time a Serbian player actually beat yes. Novak Djokovic. And we, yes. me and Chris were struggling to, to think, but I, I think, well, I feel like Chris is probably going to know the answer if you haven't worked it out by now. Yeah, it was a little, little quiz. Yeah, last Serbian before Lajovic to have beaten Novak Djokovic. A little quiz for you and our listeners uh, before we get onto Parfait Courts in the second half. I've got two answers to this one. I was Ooh. thinking Lajlo Jair, but Ooh. I don't know when that would have been. I was thinking, is this a trick question? Has he lost to Ivanovic in sort of a, a mixed doubles oh. event, you know, <laughs> during, yeah. during COVID? But I'll go, I'll go um, Tiff Zarovic. Well, you are, co- I mean, surprise, surprise, you are correct. It is Janko Tipsarevich oh, back wow. in. Back in. a while ago. Yeah. Um, maybe this won't shock you. It was back in 2012 at the now infamous Madrid Open on the blue clay. <laughs> is um, that why he's not playing Madrid? He just doesn't want to lose to a, <laughs> well, not that Tipsarevich is in attendance anymore, but he's got bad memories mm. from it. <laughs> Yeah. So, um, yeah, it doesn't happen very often. Um, but, um, yeah, I do, I do genuinely think that match, uh, as much as I think a lot of, you know, the press was about, was talking about Djokovic not playing at his best. I think there's got to be massive credit given to Lajovic because I, I think that for me was the his, you know, the the level he brought to that match again has to be commended for winning it as opposed to Djokovic losing it. Yeah, I agree. Let's take a very quick break now, uh, but we will be back in the second half where we'll be discussing reports that the WTA will be barring top 30 players from competing in 250 level tournaments next season. Uh, We'll be looking at how the Labour Cup teams are shaping up for uh, Vancouver. And we'll also be previewing all of the action to come in Madrid, including revealing our own predictions for the draw. So do not go anywhere. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com acast, and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com acast. Welcome back to the Tennis Weekly Podcast, sponsored by DownloadTennis.com. Now we're going to move on to a little bit of uh, par for the courts action, I think. And I believe me and Joel are fighting it out between us to try and win this week. And and Chris has got something uh, up his sleeve for ourselves and the listeners. Indeed, indeed. It is. um, It's a tricky one. It's a back and forth. It's tricky. Um, Oh. I, well, I was. It came to me whilst I was on the plane today. I just thought it'd be particularly <laughs> interesting to find out some of these answers. 
Um, and so I'd, I'd love to find them out maybe directly from you two. Um, the topic is uh, Grand Slam champions who won their first slam um, in their teenage years. On the subject of Carlos no longer being um, a teenager, I thought it might be a particularly interesting, um, interesting one. I can tell you... Um, I'm not necessarily expecting you to get all 23 answers, um, but there are 23 answers to go. And this is for the for the open era. Is this um, male and female? Male and female. Um, wow. Okay. So okay. I'm not looking question. for the exact uh, ages that they were. What is the definition were. of a teenager? Is it up to... Before they turn 20, 20 right? Yeah. Yes, okay. yeah. that is factually okay. accurate. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yes, and so... Who shall start? Should we have Kim to start whilst Joel starts thinking about some of those male <laughs> yeah, players I'll who won in their Joel teenage out. years? I'll help Joel out and start us off. Um, so I'm going to go for the obvious, which is Rafael Nadal. That's correct. That was not the obvious answer in my book. He was aged 19. It that was. was quite He's impressive. He's a teenager. <laughs> um, I'm going to go for Boris Becker. That's a correct answer. Carlos Alcaraz. Yep. Maria Sharapova. Indeed. 2004 Wimbledon. Iga Sviontek. Another very good answer. She was 19 when she won the French Open. It's got to be right. Serena Williams. Serena Williams is correct. She was 17 years wow. and 350 days old. Uh, I'm going to go for Martina Hingis. The youngest ever Grand Slam champion at 16 years and 117 days. Very good guess. Um, I'm going to have to go Venus Williams, I think. I have to tell you, I think that Venus Williams is an incorrect no. answer, Joel. No! no. Joel! Oh, and I had others. I had others. Oh. oh. Okay, well, I've won, but we could... Uh, who else did you have? Like, I'll take the victory. Um, um, well, Michael who, Chang. Who were you going to say? Michael Chang, Michael definitely. Chang. Michael Chang is the youngest male to win yeah. a Grand Slam. Oh, I was going to say Jennifer Capriati. Is that right? Jennifer Capriati was not on my list. But oh, okay. oh that no. was my next one. No. Why didn't I go oh. with that answer I definitely knew was right? Oh. What about... Um, Monica Seles? Yeah. Monica Seles won two oh, Grand Slams while she was in her no, teenage years. No. What about Steffi Graf? Would she have been a teenager? She yeah, was also a, a teenager. One. That's correct. Oh, I've had a shocker Federer here. Was, older than, was Federer older than 20 with his um, first? I oh, believe... no, he would have been 22. Federer was older, that's correct, yeah. yes. When um, we say older, 22, the ripe old age. <laughs> Shall I well, fill you in on some of the other yeah, people that you've Yeah, I'm struggling yeah. to think now, yeah. So it was Martina Hingis, Monica Sellers, Tracy Austin, famously, who won <sighs> the US Open. Um, in, we also had uh, Boris Becker, we've said. We had Michael Chang, Sharapova, um, Sanchez Vicario. We had Mats Villander. Mm. We also had, obviously, Alcaraz, Kuznetsova, age 19. Oh, oh wow. We had Sampras, okay. age 19 as well. Edberg, also at 19. We had um, Hannah Mandelikova. Um, and we also had uh, Bianca um, Andrescu, Chris Evans, Eva Manjoli, and Emma Raducanu. And not oh, oh my God, Emma Raducanu. <laughs> oh, I can see our listeners now. They're shaking their hands and not shaking their heads in disappointment that I we did not say that. I was almost going to say that I needed you to tell me that that was the correct answer <laughs> um, immediately because oh, I was so dear. offended that a Brit had done it so oh, recently dear. and we did not get that. Oh, dear. 
No, we've already forgotten the glory days. Oh, dear. No, that was a great one, Chris. So definitely uh, we struggled with that. But I, I'm sure a lot of our listeners would have done a lot better <laughs> than me and Joel. But thank you. Talking of our listeners, uh, Paul has got in touch with us this week on email uh, to ask us about the Labour Cup. So we've had some announcements very recently. Uh, following the news, uh, Paul says, following the news that Nick Kyrgios has joined Team World for the Labour Cup alongside Felix Auger-Aliassime, Taylor Fritz and Francis Tiafo. Which other two players would you like to see complete the lineup? Um, so I assume uh, he's referring to players for Team World. Mm. Uh, so Joel, Joel and Chris, have you got two Team World players uh, that you think would be a good addition to uh, to the currently announced lineup? I am going to say... Chris O'Connell, maybe? <laughs> no. I'm thinking um, Seb Corda. Yeah. He hasn't done much of late, but I feel like he's... I think uh, Team World needs some injured. surprise packages. Yeah. What about Kokonakis? Get him and Kyrgios in the doubles yeah. together. Yeah. Alex de Menor, that maybe. That be pretty entertaining. De Menor, I think he's justified a spot, definitely. I feel Shapovalov's gone off the boil, so mm. otherwise I'd be sort of saying I him. think he's going to be um, there as a reserve. Is is my gut right. feeling? Okay. Um, but yeah, I but is I'd, that home for him? Mm, yeah, I'd get maybe even like a Ben Shelton would be quite fun as a. Oh yeah, a so Ben Shelton's a great shout. Mm. Or a Serendulo get some South American yeah. representation. How about Yi Bing Wu? I think he's a sort of up and coming Chinese player. Oh, yeah. that, that That's might a be good quite one. A good, good shout. Yeah. Across the globe representation is what we're looking for for this rest so. of world. Yeah, but I guess as it's going to be in Vancouver, they might want to have another Canadian. So I know you said Shapovalov is going to be there. I think that would be important for him to be there if it's in Vancouver. Um, But I think this is looking like a a decent lineup. I mean, I know Europe will have a very decent lineup as well, but I feel like Team World could... uh, could, could snatch it again so yeah great great question Paul thank you very much for getting in touch it's exciting that a lot of the um, news is coming out now for the, the Labour Cup uh, so we'll look forward to seeing to seeing more news um, some other news that has come out this week um, has been about the WTA 250 tournament so there's rumours according to uh, the tournament director of the WTA 500 event in Ostrava uh, it's rumours that as of next year the lower level of WTA events that the 250 events currently they won't be allowed to feature the top 30 ranked players um which is going to mean well, quite a lot of shake-up, really, for, for the tour because uh, players in the top 30 will only be able to play events that are 500 or above. Um, it will obviously give more opportunities for for the lower-ranked players to play these 250s, but I think as it stands, these events kind of maybe struggle to attract crowds and um, get sufficient interest. There's a lack of tournaments generally on on the tour is this going to help that or is it going to make it even worse? Joel, you've been nodding your head as I'm saying <laughs> yeah. all this. What, what do you make of this news if it is yeah. indeed true? Yeah, it caught me you know, by surprise a little bit. I know it's at the moment the tour schedule is under, particularly on the WTA side, is under the microscope given the lack of 250s. I still don't think this answers that question. I think the answer needs to be create more tournaments. I don't think... The answer is limiting people's, uh, you know, top players' access and freedom to choose the tournaments that they want to, you know, that they want to play in. Um, you know, from the tournament organisers' point of view, points of view as well is, you know, they need a little bit of magic and, and star power to create interest in their events. And as much as there is great depth in the in the WTA tour at the moment, arguably it's as deep as it has ever been. You know, in, in my lifetime, I feel kind of growing up watching it it doesn't feel like you can kind of have this cut off and assume there's a lot of star power beyond those top 30 players that is going to drive the ticket sales and and get people in so i'm i'm a little bit nervous if if this does come to fruition next season i think the number one priority still has to be get more 250 tournaments get more single licenses um for events out next year and not create kind of more or, or deprive, I feel, top players of, of freedom to play in events. 
it just makes no sense really is is what i think personally i think when you look at the disparity between the atp and the wta i mean we talked about it when Djokovic got offered um that wild card that he was actually prohibited from taking um when he wasn't able to play mm. in the states for the sunshine double and that's if you're ranked in the top 10 first through 10 21 days prior to a category 125 challenger you are not able to participate and this would be saying the top 30 players so not only is that kind of denying these tournaments their stars, the people that would get bums on seats, that would get the attention, that would get um, the coverage that they'd be looking for and the sponsors to actually sign up for these tournaments. Um, it's also something that really won't help um, the players in that sense either because you do then create this sort of culture where people can um, win these tournaments and have a very high ranking but actually not be getting any results in slams like you know a Maya Sharif type or or someone like that or even for example um, Alicia Parks who obviously has had a, a decent result um, at a 250 um, winning one this year but I mean she got her ranking up by winning the 125s that were in France kind of over the um, the Christmas sort of break and the off season so I think it's kind of one where the tournament suffers, um, the top players suffer because they don't get that extra money for competing, not from necessarily just from the prize money, but there will be a significant amount of money paid to them to turn up. Um, and then you add in the fact that it's the whole of the top 30 and kind of where the WTA um, sort of uh, has its stars. I think all of those players have a big draw. So I think this is a really bad... And st- I, st- I can't and, and understand also, it, if I'm if, honest. If you're, out of, if you're in that top 30 and you're out of form and, you know, you've kind of discussed it with your team and you want to drop down to a, a 250 to kind of build your confidence and build your momentum, you know, you could be deprived of that opportunity. And I don't think that really helps, you know, any... Well, where do you play? Anyone. Where do you play? the question. Exactly. And that's, that's, I mean, they would probably still be able to play the ITF-led events, the 125s and the 100s, you know, and then you have a situation where the 250s might ban you from playing, mm. but then that wouldn't be the case at some of the lower level tournaments. So I think I'm waiting to hear a bit more information to see if that is something that's happening in terms of more 500s. But I mean, if you look at the Stuttgart entry list for this week, um, it was such a high um, high entry ranking you had to have um, that where do these where do these players play? Is the big yeah. question. We'll have to await further news on that to see if it is a genuine, like genuinely going to be going ahead or not. Because it, yeah, I, I agree with both of you. I don't think it's um, really addressing the right. What would Casper right Root do if this happened on the ATP? <laughs> <laughs> oh, good heavens above! We're talking of Casper Root. He, <laughs> he will be in action in Madrid as the third seed for the Masters that's commencing this week. Uh, gets underway, I think, officially on Wednesday. Um, and it goes sort of for about a week and a, a half, doesn't it? So it's quite a big draw. Um, so it's obviously joint ATP and WTA event, um, which is is great. I love I love the joint events. Carlos Alcaraz for the men is the top seed. Um, we've got uh, Daniel Medvedev back as the second seed. Kasper Ruud, Holger Rune, Rublev, you name it. They're all there except for Novak and Rafa, who are the two notable absences. Um there's also no Yannick Sinner actually as well, who's uh, sort of currently currently injured. Any initial thoughts on uh, on the draw that we've we've seen? Um, I think you know it's it's obviously well. I don't know how open it, it really is. I, I've certainly we've we've made some predictions ourselves. Um, I see Andy Murray is uh, is in the draw as well. Joel, you may have some comments yeah. on, on that one. I think, yeah, Andy <laughs> he Murray... He didn't listen to the podcast then. <laughs> it, we told him not to bother. <laughs> well, actually, he could face Medvedev um, if he gets through a qualifier um, in the first round. He could face Medvedev in the second round. So that would obviously be quite the tough. The battle of the clay enthusiasts. Yeah, I know, exactly. The battle of the clay enthusiasts. We could also get Dominic Team, Stefanos Sissipas in the second round, which would be quite a, a fun match. But um, yeah, I, th- I think this draw again is because of the the... The, you know the dropouts unfortunately that have happened in the last few weeks um it has meant it's quite open i think particularly that bottom half for me is very very open given as i say medvedev as the second seed we know he has his grumps about the clay um you know stefan or Sissipas is in there but apart from that i think there's real opportunity there whereas that top half for me is a bit more kind of loaded and i think a big question for me is yes I think Carlos Alcaraz is going to be great but I'm curious to see how fit and how far Holger Rune can go given the amount of tennis he has played over the last couple of weeks 
Yeah, I was thinking if he was struggling a bit physically in the final in Munich, how how physically fit is he going to be for this one? Although, you know, his first match probably won't be for, you know, have a good couple of days in between. Uh, it's not as tight a turnaround as, as some. I see, actually, I know you mentioned Dominic Team could be uh, facing Stefanos Sitsipas in the second round. Dominic Team's got Carl Edmund in the first round, which is quite an interesting uh, a blast from the past in a way. I think both of them were at their best a couple of years ago. So we'll, we'll see on that one. But um, yeah, Chris, do you have any immediate thoughts on the on the men's draw? What do you make of, uh, I don't know, the likes of maybe Lorenzo Massetti coming through? Yeah, I think there's a really good chance of that I can see him kind of making the semi-finals. I also think that Lehechka's got a good draw and everyone's kind of tipping him for a lot of success. And, you know, Medvedev as a number two seed, um, that would really open up his draw. Um and I think that could actually lead to a really kind of big run at a Masters event for mm. him. He's very at home on clay. Um, so I see that one as being a potential opportunity. But then, you know, Dan Evans, the clay court specialist, <laughs> um, building on last mm. week, he's got a good draw. Tommy Paul, not Tommy necessarily Paul. the most at home on a clay court. <laughs> yeah. I want to um, know, is there going to be more Is there going to be more comments made about American clay on uh, TV cameras? On the that's cameras, the, that's yeah. what Or just yeah. clay in Ooh, general, I think. I think just event about clay or bring back blue clay is something that Joel would love to see written <laughs> oh, on the camera. Oh, yes. In blue the pen, specifically in that. blue pen. Yes, want, I want that. <laughs> <laughs> Let's make some tentative predictions then for the uh, men's, I don't know, semis and final and, and champion. Uh, I'll go first, actually. I'll, I'll potentially embarrass myself. Uh, I've got, well, actually, I think I've gone fairly conservative. I've gone Alcaraz versus Massetti and then Sitspas versus Medvedev. Medvedev? What? Yes, I know, I know. <laughs> well, he wasn't, I know it's clay, but I think he can... I the altitude will the help. Semis, mm. Yeah. And I've gone for an Alcaraz at the final. I've gone for a repeat of Barcelona okay. with Alcaraz winning again. Um, Chris, what about yourself? Well, we're not we're not too far off. I've gone for Alcaraz Massetti as well. I've gone for Sitsipas versus Fritz, which I sound like I probably don't believe is going to happen based on what I've said about Americans on, on clay. But um, I've got the same repeat final. I've got Alcaraz Sitsipas with Alcaraz <sighs> coming through. <laughs> we Joel have, we I have fully, you got that I feel then. like we have fully switched here because well wait, I mean wait it's for taken it. a long time for you to switch on to this though Joel <laughs> I'm going Carlos my semi-final top semi I've got Carlos Alcaraz Holger Runa I know I'm, I've just said Holger Runa I think it's going to be knackered for this tournament but I'm just going on the tennis that I've seen him play over the last few weeks and um I'm backing him to get to the well. I'm well. Wait for it. I'm backing him to get him to get beyond the semi. Um, I've got Sissipas Fritz in that bottom half. I'm going for a Runa Sissipas final, and Holger Runa to win. Ooh, we'd love to see that. Three finals in a row, two titles back to back. Yeah, I'm. I'm putting my mark out now. That's that's what I'm feeling. But I also feel like the body might get the better of him. I think he might be retiring. That's why I haven't put him there. Otherwise, yeah. you know, every tournament I put him down to win at this stage. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I know. I thought, hang on, have you mixed up your I'm a broken record here, yeah. <laughs> well, let's take a look at the women's draw because uh, Iga Svantec is the top seed. Uh, we've also got um, Sabalenka there as the second seed. Mm. Uh, you know, we've got the likes of Rabakina. Um, Jesse Pagula. Pagula. Jesse Pagula, yeah. Uh, all sorts of players. I don't know about Anjibor is in the draw. She hasn't withdrawn as of yet, but obviously she retired last week with that left leg injury. So remains to be seen if she may still play. Um, but yeah, Anjibor was the defending champion. So she'd obviously love mm. to play it, but she, you know, we want to see her defend her title. Um, Bianca Andreescu also back in um, and Barbora Strichkova in a singles main draw again. She's did, back. Did he, Go off to have a child. Is that is she that, did indeed? Yeah. So and she is back. Shay Su Wei and her are both back on the tour. Brilliant! Wow, love to see them return. That's that's fantastic. Still, yeah. I still have nightmares about that Conta Conta Wimbledon. Oh. Quarterfinals, yeah. quarterfinals. But um, oh. yeah, I did enjoy. Um, great to see, by the way, Bianca Andreescu back. Uh, Bouchard. Eugenie Bouchard's one win away from the Madrid Open main draw, and. If that happens, I'm already getting flashbacks to what I consider her second greatest career uh, highlight, which was that match 
against Maria Sharapova um, in in Madrid when she called her out as a cheater. You know, she said like she's a drama. cheater, she's a cheater, and then backed it up and, and won. And Chris, we were we were talking before the podcast about that match. That was that's probably up Some there as the one of my tennis mm, I've ever seen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'd agree, but um, I'd say that's not one of the best impressions I've ever heard, John. But, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but no, I would great. say yeah. that match was um, that match was excellent. And I think. You know, having a Bouchard in the mix, I think, is a really, really positive thing mm. for the tour as well. I think she said she still wouldn't be playing if she didn't think she could win it. So she's still got the fighting talk. Yeah. So let's see if she can put that together on the match court. And uh, I do enjoy a little bit of a tongue twister in round one. We've got Anna Bodnar versus Anna Bogdan. Uh, so I'm glad I'm not Ooh. a commentator for that match. Um, but I did enjoy a prediction for that. that one, Joel. Who would you say? <laughs> AB is going to win. AB is going to win. Yeah. Right. So shall we um shall we make some tentative predictions as well for the for the women's draw? Um Chris lead us off for for this one. <laughs> right. Okay. I'm trying to remember what I said, but I think um what I do know is that I went for Eager um and Jessie Pagula. I think Pagula obviously had a, a final here last year. I think it suits her. Um, these conditions. Uh, I went for Savalenka Sakari. I thought Savalenka's playing some good tennis. She's played well in Madrid before. And I went for, um, unsurprisingly, I did not think that Sakari would win her semi-final based on the track record yeah. and what we talked about previously. <laughs> oh, gosh. Um, she might serve for a couple of times, or she might not get any games <laughs> in that. I'm not sure. But I do think that Iga is going to win it. And we're going to have another repeat because I think mm. at this stage, they are... I dare I say this, poor Kudrykova, but they are the standout players at the moment um, in terms of the, the results they're putting together and the levels that I've seen um, from both of them. So uh, I think Rabakina is not in, in the mix when it comes to clay based on what we've seen so far this season. Yeah, I haven't put, put her in my predictions, actually. I've, I've gone, well, sort of similar to you, Chris. I've got Shrontek, Pagula as a semi but I've gone for Badosa against Kvitova in my other mm, semi-final good shout. I think Badosa has been playing some nice stuff although just not getting kind of the, the end result and my final is Shriontek against Kvitova with Shriontek winning um, that's not that's a good prediction so, Kim Kvitova loves it uh, quite like three time yeah. champion yeah. she has won altitude Madrid as well before. yeah, yeah. Can see that. so yeah. I'm going for that but um, Joel what, what have you got I've gone, I mean, we've we've all said the same in the top half. I've also gone Shviontek Pagula. However, my bottom half, I've gone uh, Badosa for similar reasons um, against Caroline Garcia. Woo! What's um, happening here, Joel? So you're just taking both of our predictions, <laughs> which never seem to ha- uh, yes. work out for us. And now you're just taking them as your own. Exactly, exactly. Um, <laughs> shout out, by the way, to Caroline Garcia, who liked one of our tweets during the week, which got us all uh, got us all very excited. Um, but no, I've got, though, Shviontek Badosa final. Shviontek coming out as the champion. You're in dreamland, Joel. Mm. Dreamland. Dreamland. How dare final. you? How dare you? Badossa is going to come through that semi and uh, that is going to be the final. I'll have you know how close I was to getting the men's final right in Monte Carlo. So I'm on, I've got some momentum. Did that happen, Joel? Just remind <laughs> it me. Was so close. It was, it was close. so it was close. close. It was a good prediction. Rublev was in there. <laughs> oh, well, we will be back. Um, well, I guess for a catch up sort of partway through Madrid and then for a Madrid end of Madrid catch up uh, in the next two weeks to see if any of those predictions <laughs> indeed come true. Yes, listeners, I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode of the Tennis Weekly podcast. Remember to subscribe to us to stay up to date on all the action to come from the ATP and WTA tours. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and all major podcasting platforms out there. And if you like what you're hearing, then make sure to leave us a rating and a review on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. You can also follow us on social media or email the show. We're on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter at Tennis Weekly Pod. You can email us on tennisweeklypod at gmail.com or check out our website, tennisweekly.co.uk. And we will be back next week at Tennis Weekly HQ for another catch up to look back on all the action so far in Madrid. So I hope you can join us for that. But in the meantime, it's goodbye from Kim. Goodbye. It's goodbye from Chris. Goodbye. And it's goodbye from me. We'll see you again soon.